0: That pretty much says it all right there. I, I don't know if I need to go on or follow up, because that's pretty much the whole message in a nutshell. Um, we're talking about the power to love others. But what, just what is the essence of what's wrong with that video? It's all about me. Selfishness, yeah. That church can easily become all about me. And what do I get? What are the benefits? How, how am I blessed? And... It's so easy to fall into that for all of us, and especially in our culture. That's so, so uh, I think technology makes it all the more where we have things at our fingertips and want the, the latest and greatest. But this is exactly what we're talking about. As we're going through First Corinthians, we've, we've been looking at, this was a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth that had a lot of problems. And I'm actually really glad they had so many problems because it kind of helps me feel better about, uh, about me and about us. Like, okay, we're not the only ones that, that wrestle with things. And so we've talked for the last few weeks about the lack of unity, um, the is- issues with sexual integrity. Last week, uh, Dave Diefendorf was here from Kansas City and talked about we over me, kind of this whole theme about considering others above ourselves. And we're continuing along that theme this, this Sunday. We're looking from chapters 11 through 14, and it's really continuing the idea of, of we over me, the power to love others, but especially looking at issues in, in the gathering. These were, there were problems going on with the Corinthians, and when they came together, uh, there were issues that were happening in, in their church gathering. And so, chapter 11 is some issues with communion and how people were dressing. Chapter 12 is this whole picture of the church as a, as, as a body. It's the body of Christ. It's one of the most well-known passages in the Bible and talks about different spiritual gifts that we have to, to build up the church and help each other. Chapter 13 is the, maybe the most famous chapter in the whole Bible. It's the love chapter that you often hear at weddings. And then 14 goes more into spiritual gifts and some issues that were, that were going on there. So we're just going to kind of walk through this and uh, let's pray together before we, before we dive in. I just believe God's got great stuff for us. So, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Would you help us not just to hear ideas, but to hear your word to our hearts in a way that will transform us, both individually and as your church. Lord, thank you for your grace and your ability. We look to you to do this, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I've got to get situated here a little bit. Um, the, as I said, in chapter 11, the first issue that the corinthians were having had to do with the lord's supper and uh grab my bible here when they came together i'm just going to read because he lays it out really well here for them in in verse 11 chapter 11 verse 20 paul writes and he says this he says so then when you come together it's not the lord's supper you eat for when you are eating some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. What was happening is, usually when they would take part in the Lord's Supper, what we often call communion, this would, most of their, and it's interesting, the church in Corinth was maybe about the same size as ours, or it was, a lot of scholars think it was no bigger than 150 believers in the city of Corinth at this time. But they met a lot in houses and small groups, as, as we like to also. And so a lot of times they would participate in the Lord's Supper in these house gatherings, and it was kind of like a potluck, where people would bring their own food, or bring, their own, bring, bring food, and so they would bring the, the bread, they would bring the wine, and they would, they would come ready. But there, were, there was a wide range of, of socioeconomic situations. So there were some people who were really wealthy, and a lot of people that weren't. And people were coming, bringing the elements to participate in the Lord's Supper. But a lot of people didn't have any to bring, so they would, needed to depend on, on the, the rest of the community bring some for them but that wasn't happening people were just the the wealthier ones were bringing their stuff and they were just kind of like having a feast while other people were sitting around having nothing and so paul's saying hey that's this is a problem you're just having your own private suppers here as a result one person remains hungry another gets drunk don't you have homes to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of god by humiliating those who have nothing what shall i say to you shall i praise you Certainly not in this matter. So, you can imagine the situation. They were, they were about as self-centered as this virtual church scenario going on. People come into church, but it was really all about me. And Paul goes on in verse, verse 28. And he says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now listen to this. Everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup For those who eat and drink, without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And when he says fallen asleep, he doesn't mean the sermon was really boring, and they dozed off, he means they died. So this is serious stuff. He's saying, hey, you are really missing it here in the way you're participating in your gatherings, and in the Lord's Supper, and you need to examine yourselves. This is, this is a big deal. It's such a big deal that you've come under some judgment from the Lord. And there's the, some of the sickness and weakness going on in, your, in, your, in people's lives and bodies physically, that's directly related to this area of sin in your life. In fact, not only are some of you sick and weak because of this, but some of those people who've died, that's why they died. So, I mean, that kind of got me thinking, like, wow, I wonder, man, is there any sickness? Like, we don't think like this, but there are effects of this kind of sin that the effect is that we may be oblivious to. Um, and oftentimes this verse is read before we take part in communion, and it's the idea, it's often presented as, hey, examine your own heart, see if there are any areas of sin, any things you need to repent of, and, and that's healthy and appropriate and good. But I think a lot of times the categories that we go to are different categories than the main sin that was going on here. And it certainly encompasses all the things we've been talking about in, in Corinthians, with sexual integrity and idolatry, but he's talking specifically about a certain sin, a certain heart attitude that was the serious issue here. And it says, the reason they were coming under judgment, drinking judgment on themselves, was that they were not discerning the body of Christ. Now that's kind of an odd phrase, discerning the body of Christ. What does that mean? They, they weren't understanding the body of Christ. Well, basically, the problem is that they were not recognizing that the other people in their community were Christ's body. They were coming about church and the gathering and the Lord's Supper completely individualistically. Thinking about what's in it for me, or where am I at, and what do I need? Thinking about their needs. And they were failing to discern the community, which is incredibly important to God. In the previous chapter, Paul had written, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. This is kind of deep metaphysical stuff here. But he says, hey, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're eating that loaf, which is Christ's body, but because we are connected to Christ through our relationship with him, through his blood, through our faith in him, we not only are connected to him, but we are his body. And so, first, I've got three sort of takeaways today for when we come together. How, do, how are we supposed to come together? The first, first takeaway is, if you see each other right, you won't fight. If you see each other right, you won't fight. If you see one another as the body of Christ, then that takes away the problems of division and lack of unity and the sort of individualistic thinking that is really a big deal to God. First uh, Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And I think this, this is one of those metaphors that some of us have heard a lot, so it's sort of, it can lose its potency in our, in our thinking. But it doesn't just say you're like the body of Christ. It says you are the body of Christ. And it certainly is a metaphor, but there's something more going on here. That the, that the, peop- the believers, us as believers in Jesus, we actually, literally, are Christ's body in the world. There is, it's not just this sort of like illusion, but we, there is something real that happens. We are Christ's body. And so when we look at other people in the room, look at the people around you. Like, they're part of Christ's body. That's, they may not have a beard or a Middle Eastern robe on or anything like that. But they. In fact, I don't think anybody does, but they, that person. And that's mind-boggling when you think about, they're looking at you. With all of your idiosyncrasies, eccentricities, that's a weird word to say, all your stuff, all your foibles, all your failures, all of that, and they're looking at you going, that's part of Christ's body, and that's part of Christ's body, and that's part of Christ's body. Jesus said, when he was on the earth, he said, as you do to the least of these, you do to me. There's... That is mind-boggling. If we could, when we get that, it changes everything. See, if we see each other right, if we see each other as Jesus' body, wow, that changes things. And so they were failing to realize that. They were failing to realize that this community is, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, it's, it's the temple of God. In our relationships, in our community, that's the place where God's presence lives. Jesus said, wherever two or three come together in my name, I am with you. In a special way. There's something powerful and dynamic where Christ is there. So when we see each other, man, that, that changes everything. Um, I, I, in some religious traditions, some of you may have, may have experienced this. When they, when, they, when they take part in the Lord's Supper. And they, the priest gives you the, the bread. Yes, Eddie knows. He grew up in a tradition like this. They, you stick out your tongue. The priest sticks their <laughs> the <laughs> bread on your tongue. There's like a board that goes underneath your chin. Is, are you okay with this personal space yeah, here? Okay, good. <laughs> <great>. okay. <laughs> Let's bring back flashbacks. <laughs> There's a board that goes here. You know why that board is there? To, put, to catch it. Yeah. What is it catching? The crumbs. Yeah. That board is there to catch the crumbs because this bread represents Christ's body. That's so sacred, that's so holy. You wouldn't want that crumb to fall to the floor. So that's that's the sense when you when you have a belief that wow, this represents Christ's body. It changes the way you treat something, or it changes the way you treat someone. Think about if we treated one another like that, like if we were had those sort of metaphorical boards, you know, going, making sure no crumbs drop in our interactions with people. Because we saw them as the body of Christ. Man, that that is amazing. And that's, that's what it really is. So Paul is saying, hey, that's how you need to see each other. And so basically he's, he's calling them to love. And so he uh, we're, we're kind of doing an overview of some snippets from these four chapters here this morning. I do want to encourage you to read them on your own this week. And we have the daily devotional sections that are on our website and Facebook. And if you're on our email list, you, you get... The little section, and then some reflections, and and also some application questions that are really helpful. And actually, this week, one thing I didn't mention is, in this section, not only are these really beautiful and powerful passages of Scripture, but there's some really tough, difficult, difficult, controversial sections as well. And they're really fun, too. But we've got some great, like, ways to help break those down. And a couple articles you can read, or a video to watch, to really help you understand some of those as well, too. So I'd really encourage you to, to do that this week. And so, but this is all about loving, the power to love. And so we're going to move ahead to, to chapter 13. The, the famous love chapter. And, you know, it's funny, how many of you have been at a wedding where 1 Corinthians 13 was, was read? Yeah, very common and very appropriate. Great, great wedding. In fact, Richie and Abdullia got married in December and they're out of town this week, but for their wedding, they had they had 1 Corinthians 13 put on little boards that were along the aisles, both in English and Spanish. And it was really cool. So it's, you know, love is patient, love is kind, all the way down the aisle. It's very applicable to love in every relationship, but it's interesting to note that this was not written as a romance guide. It was written to talk about people in a church community struggling to get along. That's what this was written for. All right? He was talking about issues in the gathering and the relationships. And so think about it in that light. Not about, hey, how could my special somebody love me someday this way? But no, how could I love that difficult person around me? So, verse four, we're just going to read a little bit of this. Love is patient. This is what love is love is kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. Or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Oh, man, it's starting to hurt right here. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he wraps it up and says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And I was meditating on this th- this past week, and the thing that jumped out to me about all this, these descriptions, this description of what love is, the thing that stood out is these are things you have to do when you don't feel like it. This is not made for that, sp- like, our romantic idea of love, of, oh, if I that... If I meet that person, I will love them because they're so wonderful. You know, actually, that may not be love. That's more like self-love. That's like, I love ice cream. Like, it's more like, no, I love what it does for me. It's not so much, I love it. It's like, I love me. And this makes me really feel good about me. But, and that's how we think. But love, and this is our, our second takeaway, love is for when you don't feel like it. That's what love is. Love is, it's those difficult people, difficult situations, the interactions and relationships that aren't going the way we want them to because that person has all these issue, issues. That's where love comes in. That's where love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not arrogant. It's putting the other above, above ourselves. And this is, we love that in other people, Right? That's great. Other people are like that. I think that's one of the reasons why the parental relationship, like parents love their kids, there's such a relationship with their kids, because that's what parents, especially moms, have to do for their kids if their kids are going to live. Because, you know, like Rob and Rachel just had a little baby, and, you know, they're, if you see them, they're tired. And that's because this little baby, all like seven pounds of her, is, can't do much, and They have to wake up and not sleep and deal with stuff. And then there's this other little child who's causing issues. And it's like, you, that's love. That's, oh man, I'm waking up and I'm exhausted and I'm angry, but I'm still going to take care of you because I love you. Now that's, that's, what, that's the kind of thing that love is. And you do that towards people long enough, the relationships that develop out of that are incredible. That's the kind of relationships we all want. But we don't like the way we get there, right? It's not so natural. So love is for, for when, you don't, when you don't feel like it. You know, a real, a real test of this is when we get annoyed. I know you guys probably never get annoyed at people. You're much more spiritual than that. But have you noticed, if you haven't, you, you all know this, everybody knows this, every person has their stuff. Every person has their foibles. The best person in the world, you get to know them well enough, they got issues. They got weaknesses. And it's so natural for us to, to start counting those things. To start judging people or assessing people according to those, those foibles, those weaknesses, those, we, those failures, those, those, those things in their life. And it's so easy to be like, oh, they did this to me. They did that to me. Oh, they're this kind of person. And that is not only a dead end, like that's a death spiral. When we start like being offended or judging people, there is a never-ending supply of raw material. There is, it's not hard to find those things. And the more you give in, but, but what the grace of God that comes into our life, God loves us when we were still sinners, And then he calls us to love people in their weakness. And it's the ability to overlook those things. The ability to gloss over them, to not hold them against them, to not not determine our assessment of a person based on those things. But to say, okay, that is not who you are. You're the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. You're made in God's image. I'm going to honor you and love you despite those things. And I'm going to be gracious and kind to you. That is, that's putting this into practice. And that's, again, man, that's where it gets amazing. That's where the world doesn't live like this very much. But as we live like this, it's radical and so it's so attractive. So, so love is for when we don't feel like it. You know, I, as I look at these qualities, love bears all things, believes all things. That doesn't just happen overnight. Love is there, it's a character quality that has to be worked into us to live this way. And the way that we become more loving is, yes, first of all, we have to receive it from God. But in this chapter, it never says anything about that. This whole chapter is basically saying this is what love is and calling us to live that way. When we see, like, this is how God calls us to live and this is where I'm at. I, I need God. I can't do this on my own. But there's a character that has to be worked into us that happens as day by day we make small choices. Okay, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to be kind. In this situation, okay, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to be patient. In this situation, okay, I'm going to bear with this. I'm going to believe in this person, even though they don't feel like they don't. It doesn't feel to me like they they should be believed in. I'm going to believe in them. As we make those choices, our capacity for love increases, and it's it's a character that God develops in us. So, loves for when we don't feel like it, and so then when we come together. How do, we, how do we bring this into the, into the gathering? How do we bring this to church? Back to our virtual church example. How do we bring all this together? Well, uh, here's Paul's instructions. This is, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, this chapter is all about what happens and how you use spiritual gifts in the church gathering. It's, this is the best description we have of a church gathering in the whole Bible. And this is what it says. What shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together... Each of you has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That is interesting. That may not fit our image of what church is. We may be more like, hey, when you go to church, you go to the parking lot, and You go sit down, and it's a nice experience. But this says when you come, you're bringing something. We're bringing something, bringing something to give. And that's our our third takeaway is, is come to give, not just to get. Church is all about not just what do we receive, but what am I bringing into this environment, into this community, into these relationships to help build up the church. Mature love does what it can to take care of its own needs first in order to meet the needs of others. It's interesting, back in that, in chapter 11, when it's talking about the Lord's Supper, it tells, it tell, Paul tells them, hey, eat at home first. Kind of pregame. <laughs> then, so you're not like, don't come to the Lord's Supper hungry, needing that to fill yourself up. No, take care of your own needs on your own, and then come bringing something else to give to other people. And that's, that's the way, really, God wants us all to live, is we are... Meeting with him and getting his, our needs met from him and building ourselves up in private, and then coming to other people, not just to get, although we do get believe me, we get, but coming to give from from what God has given us that 's what mature love does i a couple of weeks ago, my oldest son adams in college he 's about to graduate and start grad school he 's going to do grad school, and so we did a trip to to visit two schools, Illinois and purdue and so we drove there and this is like a moment of joy as a father. My son is starting to offer to pick up the tab. <laughs> like, wow, like this is, wow. So he's like, hey, I got the gas here. Or, hey, I got this meal. And he paid for the hotel the night we spent at a hotel. It's like, wow, I'll, I'll let you do that. That's okay. <laughs> you know, that's good. I think you still owe me just a little bit. <laughs> but this is good. And you know, that's, that's a sign of, of maturity. That as as we mature, we're more and more wanting to to pick up the tab. Wanting to to take care of our own needs and see how we can bring something for others. And that comes in all all different areas of service, of love. These these chapters are all about spiritual gifts. And basically say, hey, God wants to use you to minister to other people. You need to be able to hear from God and speak his word to other people. You need to be reading the Bible and getting revelation. You need to have something to give other people. And when you come... You are looking for ways that you can take what God has given you and minister to the people around you. And man, he, God wants to pour out His grace to help us do that. Um, yeah. So that's good stuff. Um, he, it, that chapter goes on and says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, in verse 4. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why? For the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us for the common good. You now that's different than the way we often think. i this read these next few verses from chapter 14. Verse 1 and verse 12. He says, follow the way of love and earnestly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And this whole chapter then goes on, and it talks about how the gifts that are the most valuable are the ones that most build up other people. And therefore, prophecy is a gift of hearing God and speaking to other people. That really makes a difference in people's lives. And so Paul's saying, earnestly desire this so you can help build up the church. Um, Verse 12, he says, he sums it all up. He says, so it is with you, since you are eager for gifts, of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. That's what it's all about. Man, God, give me gifts. Give me stuff from you so that I can help build up your body. This is so different from the way we think. I was just talking to Reagan yesterday and she had a conversation with a friend who's a, pa- a, who's a pastor at a church, another church in town. And they were having this, funny con- this conversation. She said, yeah, we, I was talking to these, it was actually a group of, group of pastors' wives. And they said, She said, yeah, we had this young couple that was part of our church, and they moved out of town, and they came back. And they ended up going to a different church, and that's fine. But we had a conversation, and they were like, yeah, well, our church is more for older families. And they said Bluemont is for college students, and then this church where we landed is for young families. So we went there because they have young families. And a very normal way of thinking, and very, you know, makes a lot of sense. But if you think about this way of thinking of, is church a place to give or to get? Our mentality as consumers is, if there's a lack, then go somewhere where you can find it. Right? Like, if you, I don't know, lost my train of thought, but but a better way to think about it is like, in my house, if the dishwasher breaks, I don't go, oh, time to move to a different house. <laughs> I say, oh, I better fix that dishwasher, because it's my house. Or, oh, man, we, we need a fence, which we do need a fence. I mean, we don't need a fence, but we'd like to have a fence. <laughs> you can think, oh, well, I, let's go, like, find a different house with a fence. Or you can think, no, let's build a fence at our house. And that's more the way God wants us to think. Like, where are there gaps and weaknesses? Let me tell you, there are a lot of gaps and weaknesses at Bluemont. We could, we could talk about those. And, and the beauty of it is, those are opportunities. Those are places to see. oh, maybe I could help. Maybe I could help. Maybe a, see a ministry started here, or here, or here. That's really, that's how God wants us to think. Moving from consumers to producers. All right, any... Uh, any questions? Thoughts? Sarcastic remarks. <laughs> Asia? Do you, yeah. so you have a baby? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think talking to somebody about it is a great idea. You guys hear that? So if you see a void, you don't know what to do about it. What do you do? Yeah, talk to someone. Talk to a pastor or a leader, and just say, "Hey, what about this? We'd like to see something happen here. Could I? Could I help? Is there anything going on already?" And just start a conversation to see what what could be done and maybe what the process is. Um, you know, some things maybe are easy, like just do it. Some things it may take a process of development, maybe you need some development to get to a place of, of starting that or helping with that, but yeah, start the process. Good. Any other questions? Thoughts? Alright. Well, I've got a few applications for us. Um, how do I apply this? Well, we got a great opportunity. In two weeks, we have a testimony Sunday. So this is a chance for you to bring your life and what God's doing in your life and share it with the church. Alright? So there's one application. Think about it. If, uh, if you can email it, we've gotten a couple of great ones so far, but if you'd email those in, uh, we might put some semblance of order to this thing, I don't know, but email those to info at bluemont.church, and that would be great. Uh, here's an application. Is there someone you're annoyed at? <laughs> Just say yes. We know. Not, don't be over-spiritual. <laughs> um, well, ask God to help you start seeing them as, as part of Christ's body. Um, Are you not seeing the church as a whole for what it actually is? Honoring it accordingly. And ask God to help you start seeing church that way. Uh, Is there someone God's calling you to love? Maybe a difficult person. Maybe someone in your job or family or dorm or whatever it is. Maybe it's, man, I need to be intentional about loving that person. It's a great application. Maybe, Maybe you need to get born again. You know, if you're not born again, this is impossible. If you have not turn from your sin and trust to Jesus to be your Savior, then living like this just is impossible until God does that. So it's a great time to do that. Or maybe you need more spiritual gifts. Maybe you're like, man, I just, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, or I need more. I I want to be more available and more useful. Ask God for spiritual gifts. And as we read through the readings this week, it'll talk about that. And actually this week at at our Oregon Trail Community Group, which is at our house on Wednesday nights at 7, we're going to have a spiritual gifts activation time where we talk about this idea and we talk about some of the gifts laid out here, especially prophecy and tongues and healing and a chance for you to pray and experience those gifts in your life. So that's going to be, that's going to be great. Um, become a church member. That's a logical step. And we have a class today and next week. So just show up and take that step of becoming a member of the body. Find a community group, some key relationships to be part of. Uh, come to church gatherings looking for ways to serve and to give. All right, there's more. Maybe becoming a community group leader. I think about this. So we, we want, as a church, we want to move more and more to where we're not just a church with community groups, small groups, but we're a church of community groups where that's the prime, like a main way that people are building community and reaching people. And right now we have, we have 43 members of Bluemont. And if we had 100 members, I think we could easily be reaching 200 people every week. If we had 10 community group leaders, 10 community groups, we could be shepherding and discipling 100 people really well. If we had 100 community groups, we could be shepherding and discipling 1,000 people. And that would be amazing. But what does that take? It it takes leaders. That's what it takes. So maybe God's touching some of your hearts to to come into that role. Um, Whatever it is, man, God is calling us. He wants to give us the power to love others. So, let's go ahead and stand up, and worship team's going to come on up. I think, no, Ginny's going to come on up. No, worship team's coming on up. No, Ginny's coming on up first, yeah. <laughs> worship team can come on up too, this will be quick.